Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hello and welcome inside another episode of Between the Lines with the Virtual Academy or a podcast going beyond the bats to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories and also talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. Glad to have you guys along. I'm your co-host, Brent Henson. And have you ever had like a friend or a co-worker tell you something in passing maybe a year or two or 10 years down the road after you've known them? That in the grand scheme of things is a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to myself and our executive producer, Aaron Bevel, when the host of this here podcast, Michael Warren, casually mentioned to us not that long ago, I might add, that he actually worked security for the very first gathering of the Juggalos Festival in Novi, Michigan, back in the summer of 2000 that was held at the Novi Expo Center. And once Aaron and I found this out, we kind of collectively looked at ourselves and said, well, we need to make that an episode because that's got to be a a fascinating story. So before we dive into things, uh, let me introduce the Between the Lines executive producer, editor, and all-around utility man, Mr. Aaron Bevel. And of course, our host, he works in partner support and content development for Virtual Academy and he is a retired sergeant of the Novi, Michigan Police Department, Mr. Michael Warren. I swear to you, if you would have told me six months ago we'd be recording an episode about a music festival put on by a bunch of music clowns, not quite sure I would have bought into it. You can imagine what it was like for me then who had no idea who said music clowns were. You know, they... <laughs> So, and then let's just throw on there that, uh, you know, as we were getting ready for the episode, going back and looking at information about it, uh, how depressed I became when I, when I looked it up, it was described as the early years, uh, which, yeah. which means that it's been a long, long time. And that makes 23 years ago. That, I mean, it's been going on strong. I mean, they have a, a solid fan base. And before we jump around too much, I think we have to set the foundation for people who aren't familiar. I, I, I don't know if the people who listen to this podcast are aware of who the insane clown posse are or, or they're commonly known ICP. But just to give you guys some framework, I, just a brief little summary of uh, what the band kind of is. They're a rap group originally from Detroit who, in case the name didn't give it away, they wear clown makeup when they perform. They got their start in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And they perform kind of like this uh, hardcore rap, and they have these crazy stage performances. And for the most part, it's two guys, I believe. There's uh, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope, and they have a loyal fan base, so much so that they have a festival called the Gathering of the Juggalos. And I guess, Aaron, uh, that's what they call their fans, the Juggalos, is that right? Yeah, the Juggalos, and then I think female fans are the Juggalettes. Okay. Now, I have to say up front, before this episode, I I knew nothing about ICP. I've, I've heard them talked about for years and years, and the, they've had video games made. So they have had a place in pop culture since we were growing up, since we were in high school. You guys are both from Michigan. How much knowledge did you guys have of them other than just we know about them? Did you... Have you heard any of their music I didn't before this week? Listen to a lot of their music, but I remember, you got to remember in the mid 90s, uh, this was kind of a taboo type group based on their lyrical content. So I remember being in high school and somebody saying, Hey, have you heard of the Insane Clown Posse? And, you know, they played a song and read some of the lyrics. And again, now it may not be as crazy as it was in 1995, but. They have some interesting lyrical content. I know uh, maybe you might not have been as familiar, Mike, as uh, as the rest of us. But I wanted to point out something to, to Aaron here. When he first started talking about this band, you know, wearing makeup and everything, I thought we were going to start talking about Kiss. And I know what a big fan you are uh, of that particular band. <laughs> but I, to be very upfront, yeah. I knew more about Kiss than I did about ICP, uh, at least until that weekend. And I probably learned a little bit more than I really cared to know now i happened to see how they kind of came up with the idea it was the brother of violent j rob bruce said that he uh, got the idea to have a festival for the fans of the band after going to a gaming convention 
1998 in Milwaukee. He thought, well, if we can do this with games, video games, we can do this with our fans. And uh, this is uh, pulled out of a Detroit news article that came out a couple of years ago. So they thought, nobody else is doing this. Why don't we do it? And the perfect place to do it, uh, we could do it in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. No, let's do it in Nova. <laughs> that is the thing I'm trying to figure yeah. out is how did this. Well, that, that is, that's kind of the story because as we were told, and you never know how accurate these these stories of legend are, right? But we were kind of told that mainly it came to Nova because they had offices there at the time and pro- probably primarily because. Wait, the, ICP had offices in yes, Nova? Yes, they did. Uh, that's that that's where they had offices their their main <laughs> corporate headquarters if you will <laughs> they have yeah they have their own label, i wonder if right? they go to work wearing the makeup because <laughs> that would be fabulous that's a good question yeah. i saw that they originally were on walt disney records and they, which i don't know how that happened they got kicked off of disney records because of a southern baptist convention i think through a fit and was like you we can't have these and so Walt Disney, I think, responded. This is all from a Wikipedia article, but the Disney company responded rather that got slipped through the cracks that these <laughs> these clowns, rappers, slipped through the cracks somehow at Disney, and so they kicked them off of it. What craziness! But see, I, so I, I think they started their own label yeah, and their own company. Yeah. I think uh, the, their label was it Psychopathic Records, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's funny. I think that they came to Novi because the Expo Center was one of the few places that was large enough huh. that said yes. And well, I think the said yes part was really important. I, I read there's a quote in that Detroit News article uh, that it's so funny. It's, it really sums it up. It, it, it's a bizarro contrast because you have clown rappers from Detroit putting on a festival convention in suburban Detroit. It seems like Detroit would have made more sense. And there's got to be tons of venues for them. Maybe they couldn't secure them or maybe it was cheaper to... to Host it in Novi. I, I don't know, but it when I saw the very first one was in Novi, I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is nuts. Well, Novi, uh, that, that area right there, for, for our listeners, if you're familiar with Michigan at all, uh, it's right near the intersection of I-96 and 275. Uh, there are a lot of hotels in the area. Uh, one of the largest shopping districts in Michigan is right there at Novi and 96. And the Expo Center at the time sat right there in that southwest corner. So there were plenty of restaurants, plenty of places for people to stay, easy access from the airport and from- You, you sound know, like drove. you're on the tourism commission <laughs> there, Mike. I mean, <laughs> yeah, listen. I was signed up. I was like, I'm, well, I know where I'm going for vacation. Family, we're going to Novi <laughs> next summer. Well, speaking yeah. of sign up, that's how I got to know it because I signed up for the overtime, not understanding what the heck I was getting into. <laughs> so, Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is uh, I want you, I'm going to try to do what you do and walk as through this story so when do you first find out that there's going to be a festival coming to novi and it features a rap group of clowns with a huge fan base and and how did you did you know anything about this thing it should be noted that in any type of thing like that requires some oversight from the city Right. That you've got to get a permit, especially something that's going to be lasting multiple days like that. So I, at least mine. And, and listen, I was a nobody. I'm, I'm working the road. I think at the time I was on afternoon shift and we got these inklings or these things from the these rumors, these hush whispers, if you will, coming from the city that there, there was perhaps going to be this festival. At the Expo Center. We had a lot of conventions and stuff at the Expo Center. One of my favorite ones, we used to have this, the 50s festival. And, and it was a several days long and it had a classic car parade. Eddie Different Money. Different type of audience. Yeah, Eddie Money yeah. was one of the ones that was consistently there as a performer. And so when I first started hearing about it, I, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, ah, it's going to be some overtime. There may be a few drunks and uh, I don't know what the big deal is. And they said, no, you don't understand. It's ICP. Um, I'm like, well, what is this ICP you speak of? <laughs> so, and that's when it started. Do you think this, the city signed off on it because of they wanted to bring in, uh, obviously, the, I guess, you know, the money coming in to, to, to Novi was the determining factor because their, their crowd gets a little rowdy. So did, was that even a factor for them? It probably was. You have to look at several other factors too, because there's the money that it's bringing in to the city, not just for the city itself, but for the owners of the Expo Center, for all the restaurants and hotels around there. 
uh, in a strange way, you're supporting a local business. Because remember, their, their yeah. office was a no-buy. I don't even know when I should have looked it up, but when was this in their career when this happened? Like, were they even a known entity that the the town yeah, would so have even known at time, that point? They were already, they have a connection to wrestling. Okay, um, yeah. And so th- by this time, they had already been on national television with the WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it, WCW. So they were known entities at this time. It should be noted, too, that at the time, I, I think there was some type of feud that was going back and forth between them and another uh, Detroit area rapper, Eminem. And, and there was this. I forgot the, about that. I think you guys. Uh, uh, talk about uh, uh, from a music perspective uh, that there are times where you can be one genre or the other, but you can't be both. And I think that's the kind of the way it was. You could be an Eminem fan or you could be an ICP fan, but you couldn't be both at the time. At least then you couldn't. Nintendo or Sega. Yeah, right. You got to, you got to choose VHS a sign. or choose. beta. Let's, let's date ourselves. Okay. Well, that's, that's <laughs> so real quickly, just a funny aside that happens on this podcast that would not be funny to anyone else. And I think you actually said this a little bit earlier. Often Brent and I would get this confused with IACP, which is a very different <laughs> thing. Very different. And so every time <laughs> you said that earlier, it made me laugh, <laughs> but every time in a meeting, you or somebody else would say IACP, Brent and I would both be like, the insane clown posse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're out there and you thought this was a very different episode, that might be why. <laughs> so this was just uh, two days and I looked up the cost again. This is 23 years ago, but uh, the cost to attend this festival for two days, 60 bucks. So I, even I think back 23 years ago, that was probably reasonable. Maybe it was expensive for their fans. I don't know. Uh, but you have, I don't want to say massive because it was the first one. Now, I think they're much more larger in scale. But I've read anywhere between two and 7,000 people for that first one. Do you know the accurate number of how many people well, were there? We were told that it was closer to the seven thousand than, okay. than than the other and obviously they, they probably weren't all there at one time but there was a lot of people it, you know it's funny people man i could come in and I, go, I had no idea there'd be this many people here and, and you know there, there were a lot of local fans that i think that were surprised i, I can tell you that the, the guy sitting here talking to you right now was surprised at the number of people from out of state mm-hmm. there were a ton of people from out of state let me ask you this uh as someone who's working in law enforcement at the time was the band to your knowledge pro law enforcement <laughs> I, I was informed uh, before uh, said convention that they were not pro law enforcement that was confirmed during said convention that they were not pro law enforcement <laughs> so how does that affect you uh, as someone who's there working security is that you just put on your professional hat and you just turn your back to them and you're just, you know, checking the crowd or, or what? It is what it is. And, and, you know, a lot of people, especially especially folks that, that perform like that, they're there for the shock factor. And so a, a lot of, at least part of me believes that it's done for the show. It may not necessarily be entirely true. They may not be pro-police, but I don't think that they maybe necessarily hate the police. Uh, after the show, um, I, I thought less of that. But uh, I was shocked, number one, by how nice people, most of the people were. Every crowd's got idiots in it, right? But uh, most of the people were pretty nice. And this one right here, especially you, Brent, I was surprised at how young some of the people were. And when I'm talking young, I'm talking like 12, 13, 14-year-old, primarily boys showing up to this. They are wearing clown makeup that does appeal to a young, I don't know. Listen, I was terrified of clowns as a kid, so it does not appeal to me at all. It does not appeal as as an adult. I will say this. Some of the videos that Brent found were Vice videos that were about the festival, and and they had footage there and interviews. And I probably went in with like a lot of people being like, these people are weirdos, but they're very kind. Like everybody there was very kind to each other, and it was a big family kind of event and stuff. So it kind of changed my framework. I'm not saying that bad things didn't happen and they certainly did things that sounds like Woodstock 99 and, and, and some things like that. But I think it, it became such a bigger thing than this band. Like it started as that thing, but then it became a whole cultural thing. I think now they're up to like 20,000 people coming to these festivals just for context. I think Bonnaroo this year was 70,000. So this is not an 
small event by any standard. One of the things I thought was interesting about this episode and why I thought it'd be interesting to hear this is this is becoming a bigger thing. As somebody who goes to a lot of concerts, I'm seeing more and more police at concerts. I assume they're working overtime like you were, but as we're seeing more shootings and, and these sort of things happening, and we saw like the Travis Scott Astro World thing where right. fans died and we saw the Queens of the Stone Age in Paris where there was a gunman. So this is a, it's a thing that you have to consider when you're going to a show. You're like, this is, you know, that things could go south really quickly with this big of a gathering. Thinking why we have police there and when the band is actually against having police there. Like, why would you not want it to be safe? And that, that sort of thing is an interesting conversation. Let me uh, frame it like this. For, for decades, what we haven't blinked an eye at extra police presence at college football games. Now, granted, granted, most of those, you know, larger crowds because they've got larger venues, but but they, they serve a variety of purposes. They ensure traffic safety. They direct traffic, keep traffic flow, but they are there primarily for the safety of those attending. Because as we stated earlier, in every crowd, statistically speaking, you're going to get some people who are going to have nefarious thoughts, nefarious acts. And there has to be that. When I went into this thing, what, what, what I thought it was going to be was primarily music based, that it was primarily going to be a concert. That was a very small part of what the overall right. event was about. Well, Aaron alluded to it. We were uh, a year removed from Woodstock 99 when chaos ensued and everything went sideways there. As a city, as a law enforcement agency, were you aware of what happened at Woodstock 99 and maybe a little unsure if it would be recreated at this first uh, gathering of the Juggalos? Again, I I will go back to because of my insulation, if you will, from what I see. Naivete. Yeah, well, I didn't want to use that word, okay? I had no idea how large their following was. And even the organizer of the event, I don't think they had any idea when this thing started how many people were going to show up. I think maybe everybody kind of underestimated, but I think there's also psychologically this false feeling of safety because most of the events were going to be indoors. You bring up a good point. Because I wanted to find out, when did your shift actually start? Were you there at the very beginning, or did you come on later? Because I had read that uh, so many people showed up, they kind of were you know, making them open the doors earlier than they wanted to, and there was some looting going on, taking of some merchandise, and I didn't know if you were there when that type of thing happened. Can we start at the very beginning? Do you mind if I start there? Please, sir. Most of the people are going to be arriving the next day. Okay, so the event doesn't start for another day, but that first night, so two nights before it began, uh, one of my shift partners was doing extra patrol because, you know, they're, they're already starting to get, uh, you know, trucks and stuff like that setting up for the event, e- even though it's still a day or so away. But he's doing extra patrol around the building and in the northwest corner of the building, there's this big water tower. So as he's driving up to the water tower, he sees this small group of people there. And so, I mean, being prudent, he went to check on it. And what he found was a young lady who was shirtless, who had four or five dudes around her because of the type of event it was. They were pouring Fago over her and then we're licking it off of her. Obviously, that's not acceptable. Uh, He rolls up. We get some other units there. Well, it turns out that she was a 15-year-old female, which it makes it even more unacceptable. And then it turns out that she was a runaway from the state of Wisconsin who had told her parents that she was going to be spending the weekend with her friend, left the state of Wisconsin, and had come to Novi, Michigan for the gathering. And so as a shift, I can remember they're sitting there going, so this is what this weekend is going to be like then. That was your first inkling yeah, right there. Yeah. Huh? And yeah. I, seriously, there was nobody else in line. But once people started showing up in line, and there are pictures online where you can see them, you know, they started climbing up on the roof of the expo center and they were dumpster diving. And it, it, it just was like, hey, for the safety of everybody, you guys may not be ready, but it's probably better to give them something to do than to allow them stand around outside waiting to get in to do something. Somebody's going to get hurt. And I don't know if, how accurate this is, but I read 
this spin had an article about 10 years ago that uh, kind of detailed the, the, the festival. And according to Shaggy Too Dope, he says that the group rarely makes any money from these festivals and they primarily do it for the fans. He said, we lose big every time. We lose however many tens of thousands of dollars, but that's our gift back to the Juggalos. It's our thank you, a effing big ass parties. Well, just quote. think about it. I mean, 60 bucks for, for this event. I, I could believe that they're losing money. I mean, because, uh, again, it wasn't just the musical aspect of it. There are all kinds of other ICP type of entertainment going on inside the building, which was another thing in and of itself. Yeah, I just want to mention some of the things that went on uh, in addition to some of the music. They had autograph sessions, seminars, which I don't know about you. But when I saw seminars, I thought, <laughs> what what kind of seminars? ICP. And anyway, uh, wrestling, which I was excited to see because they have a close connection to that. Tattooing, haunted house, video games that had Aaron's ears perk up. And then they had uh, ICP memorabilia that, museum. That's what I wrote in my notes. I thought, wow, they have a museum of memorabilia. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that happens is and I could be wrong, but looking at the history of these in Wikipedia, every one they have to keep moving and there's different reasons. I think like towns started being like, well, we don't want this here kind of a thing. So on the third gathering, they said that a riot ensued because police were trying to stop females from showing their breast. And apparently the crowd started like trying to get the police. So they ended up having to like tear gas the crowd as well as using pepper balls and it took them about 30 minutes. ICP negotiated with the police to have to continue the festival. This is at a civic center. They had to wait for it to air out from the tear gas. From that point on, they were like, okay, we have to do this outdoors. As a city council, I'm sure that you're like, okay, this is a, there's a lot of benefits from this, but we're opening the doors to a lot of other stuff too. And you're absolutely correct. I can remember our dispatch center at night because the the concerts primarily were at night and they were outdoors. Okay. And we would get people from the neighborhoods around it. And I'm not talking really close around it that were calling the police about the loud music. And, And it got to the point where dispatch was instructed to tell the callers to call city hall and complain. Because if they have the permit to do this, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. So, so that it's, and, and listen, this isn't just about music. Whenever you have big events like this in places that aren't designed, for example, for the traffic, the vehicular traffic, mm-hmm. what you're going to have traffic backups. Yeah. There's a new convention center in Novi that uh, has a Comic-Con there. It gets so backed up sometimes that we have to shut down ramps from the expressway, trying to push people farther away because they just get backed up and it starts causing accidents. Is it better to have an event like there in in a space where help can be provided if needed rather than what was it, the Burning Man thing that, that this past right. that few months ago where, I mean, people were in danger of dying because they right. were so isolated. I, I don't know what the answer is. Now, you said that you found the fans to be quite friendly. Did that continue on as the festival continued or did you get some, were there some animosity or any stories of things not going quite right? All right. Apparently, we weren't the only ones that had this happen. Brent, you're a wrestling fan. Live and die by it. Okay, well, then you'll appreciate this. There, There was some female wrestling going on inside. And I need to point out that it was inside the convention center. The girls ended up topless. So now we've got topless wrestling. And that was uh, one of the people from my agency made the decision that they were going to try to intervene. You can imagine that that did not go over very well. And so now, you know, we've got people running. I'll ask you guys, from a non-police perspective, you have this type of event going on. The reputation, you you can kind of get an idea of what may go on there. Since it's indoors and only the people who bought tickets are the ones that can see what's going on, do you just let it go? But then you have to try and say, but man, there were a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boys that were there. I don't know what the right answer is for that. You're asking me and Aaron, we're similar of age. I'm 46. You ask me now, and I'm like, "Ah, if there's little kids in there, I'm not quite sure, but their parents brought them. Uh, But if I was a 20-year-old, 
at that time, I'm like, let them go, man. You know, but your perspective changes over time. I got to correct Brent there. Brent, it, it was amazing the number of parents who showed up and dropped their kids off there. Like they were dropping them off for school. Hey, I'm going to. I'm assuming like you, maybe they just didn't know. I think they probably didn't. But but it's like you, in my line of work, this we call a clue when you're driving along to drop them off at the front door and you can see the line of people. Boy, th- this this isn't like any concert that I remember going to. <laughs> I would find it hard to believe, like you said, that you could get anywhere near this festival and not at least get an inkling of what it's going to be like inside because it is the it's the crazy circus. I don't know. I, I can understand like if I was that age and the cops are trying to harsh your buzz or whatever, like, but then you have a crowd and it starts to turn violent and that's a, that's a real bad powder keg. But like in the seventh gathering, they said they originally were going to have it in Brooklyn, Michigan, but the, the board of Woodstock township said it, they denied them the permit. So there are places that are like, Hey, you guys have a reputation. We don't, we don't really want to deal with this. So they do have to keep trying to move it and find other places that are, because it's become an even bigger reputation as it's grown. It's a drain on public safety resources. Every public safety agency has an overtime budget. And if they're not contributing to, to help pay the overtime for the, the services, then the citizens are having to eat that. And you only have a limited pool to draw from. I mean, think about it. Population of Novi at that time was probably between forty-five and 50,000 people. And if you're bringing 7,000 people in there, you know, that, that's, you're, you're increasing your, your population a lot. Right. Plus you're clogging one of the main travel arteries for the city. So if I, if I've got a fire run in the North end of the city and my fire truck has to come through that area, you know, it could delay the response. I mean, it, it, there's just a whole bunch of unintended consequences that, that perhaps people so, don't consider. I, you know, I'm sure you love the overtime. Obviously, uh, did you work both days? Listen, there was so much overtime. I, I worked significantly more than I slept uh, during that time period. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because uh, you had to be exhausted even after the first day because it's in July. It's just a lot of people. The most dangerous part, in my opinion, was the parts that took place at the concerts, which were outdoors, which were the most well-attended part of the, the convention. So you, that's when you've got the most people there. And you still got calls for service that the people working regular duty have to answer. The city's still going on. Right. It was an exhausting, exhausting weekend. If you could explain in detail, you mentioned some dangerous things during the concerts. What what types of things in response to that? You can imagine, even though there wasn't supposed to be that there, there was alcohol use. Uh, you mm-hmm. can also imagine that even though... At that time, marijuana. Strange smell in the air, maybe? (laughs) There was a haze, shall we say. Yeah. A healthy doobie, as Paul McCartney might say. (laughs) So, uh, but but there was probably, I mean, there there was other drug use that was going on. And then, you know, you've got the whole crowd mentality. And I remember when there was a particular song that was anti-police that was being, uh, that was, uh, we've got the explicit rating, so we can throw it out there. Uh, It's called Fuck the Police. And I can remember that when the song was was going on, every time that that phrase was part of the song, everybody in the crowd, because we were along the edges, you know, the perimeter of the crowd, everybody would turn to the closest cop, two fingers up like this right here and yell at the top of their lungs. And, you know, I I can remember working there with uh, with former guests from the show, Kevin Ray. uh, So so this is how it ends, because. (laughs) Well. Well, after I want to ask you, how does that make you feel? Do you feel like you're in danger in any way because you're outnumbered? Um, is that you get a little, I don't know what's going to go on here. If I were to be completely transparent with you, I didn't get worried. And the reason why I didn't was because I was young and stupid, okay? Uh, Because, you know, there's a part of your life, especially your life as a police officer, where you will often feel like you're invincible. It wasn't true. I mean, the reason why we weren't hurt was because they, they didn't try to hurt us. That's the reality of this. To be very transparent, too, if that had turned into something like a riot, 
we were woefully unprepared in terms of resources, number of people, equipment, and training. It wasn't until several years later that, that our county, Oakland County, created a group called OCTEC that did county-level training on what we called mobile field force, where it was riot control, that type thing. But before then, it would have been a free-for-all. So what you're saying is there's a silver lining coming out of this for for your agency is that the training was implemented because, hey, maybe we need to know how to handle these kind of things. I would like to say that that, that was the, the catalyst for it. Oftentimes when nothing bad happens, we tend to say, oh, well, that turned out OK. I guess we did good. And I'm not bad mouthing the agency because we did the best we could with the knowledge and resources we had at the time. Have either of you been to a festival just as a festival goer? Like I've been to Bonnaroo a few times. And like you said, there's, it's so much more than just concerts. There's all kinds of things happening. They had, I went to a weird rave, like a Skrillex rave and saw things that my little mind is not prepared (laughs) for. And I, this is so much more like so many more scales of extreme from that, just from the, the, the footage I've seen. But like at Bonnaroo, like everybody's happy, everybody's friendly and, and you're having a good a time type environment. Yeah. yeah. But there were so many times where like, for instance, you talked about drugs getting in there at Bonnaroo. They make a big show of Jay, check your stuff as you're going in and they're checking for drugs. Literally the first table that you see when you get past that line is quote unquote water pipes. And I'm like, what did we just do for an hour? Like, really? <laughs> but but you guys have been to a bunch of concerts. I think you've seen people get in into the music where, where they start physically reacting to it. In most cases, except for you, Aaron, turn into something that was dangerous. You, you know what I'm saying? That, yeah. that, that it wasn't eliciting that type of response where I think in this case right here, they did want that hyped up yeah. re- response and people responded uh, the way they wanted. And I've, I've been to some heavy metal shows where there were moments I thought, am I good standing here or should I? <laughs> because things have definitely turned and you, you start to feel that in the air as a as a crowd, you start to feel when the crowd is starting to turn and it, there is like a moment of like, this is really, this could go bad with the mob mentality, but you have from things I've seen, like you have situations where like Fred Durst at Woodstock 99, did he provoke, did he encourage the crowd to go crazy and destroy the place? It kind of seemed like he did. So if you have the people up front that everyone is there to see encouraging that, that's going to blow. And I have kind of an idea because I actually got to see Pantera uh, in Saginaw, Michigan in 1995. And that was, if you've ever, if you know the band Pantera, they, you know, are a little, uh, not a little, but they're a heavier band and, and they're fans, maybe not as intense as ICP, but there is kind of a aggressive testosterone filled environment and I'm assuming that was the same type of environment that you dealt well, with. Well, think about wrestling. You know, wrestling primarily. I will do that all day. Pri- it's primarily a sport. The fans are overwhelmingly male. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, testosterone is especially high in younger males. And again, that that's who this group catered to. I would be willing to bet that, that you guys have pet peeves about behavior at concerts. There are certain things that people do that just drive you nuts. Well, one of the things that would drive me nuts, it doesn't matter if it's at a concert or if it's at a a sporting event. If somebody spills a drink on me, it really pisses me off. Not at this concert. Because the accepted behavior, because one of the things that they're known for being in the city of Detroit is that they have Fago. And they literally had two trailers, semi-trailers full of Fago right up there i I remember it very clearly it's like a rite of passage to get sprayed by it is not only did it not piss people off it ramped them up even more when people were spraying the fago did you get sprayed by fago Uh, mike no and and part of that is because mike hates to be sticky oh that's very sticky too yeah when the fago started coming out michael started giving a little bit more distance discretionary time (laughs) that's what i was looking for now, we, we heard about the, the young girl, which is a terrible thing, 15 years old. What other types of crazy things did you experience during that weekend? Or did it 
kind of level out after a while or did it get worse? Yeah, I guess it was, it depends on, on your perspective. Here's some things that I witnessed that kind of made me say, Hmm, number one, I mean, obviously when you have that many people together involved in that type of activity, you're going to have medical runs. And so we would get called for medicals. It, it just seemed like people wouldn't get out of the way. No, no matter where you stand, you know, and things to me, allowing medical treatment to get through should be a priority. That wasn't necessarily the case. I still struggle with the fact that there were kids there. This is going to sound, I don't know, stereotypical. It bothered me that there were so many young men there. But young men, when they get to, typically speaking, they just, they just act goofy. Mm-hmm. What really bothered me were the young females that were getting dropped off. Right. Uh, because of what happened that first night right there, I, I just couldn't understand people. And, and especially, I mean, you know, th- there's news coverage of what's going on. They may not know everything, but there's news coverage and parents can watch the news and they can see, you know, video clips of what, what went on day one. Yet at day two, guess what? There's still kids showing up at this concert. I struggle with that. It was almost like, and I'm not saying they were on meth. But I'm saying it's almost like they were on the group was on a meth like state for a couple of days because once once it ended, it's like everybody crashed. It's like, OK, it's over and everybody. Yeah. So it was frantic and then it was deathly quiet. Well, let me ask you this. So as it's going on and, and feel free if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but amongst yourselves, amongst your fellow officers, what are the rumblings? What are you guys saying to each other? Like, what did we get ourselves into? Or is it just another day on the job? Turn, turn to your buddy, you know, uh, when you're maybe on hour 16, you know, for that particular day. And, and you realize and go, what was I thinking? You know, the money's not worth it. <laughs> you know, that that lasted until the paycheck came around. Aaron, if I could, I want to go back and talk to something you, you talked about. You know, we had undercover people there. We had them in the crowd and they weren't there for making arrests unless there was something very serious going on. But much like our previous guest, Justin Witt, when he talked about being in, in the crowds, you know, it's about finding the problems before they happen. And so they don't become bigger problems. In fact, uh, previous guest Victor Loria was actually working undercover at that particular. I was going to ask if he was if he was a part of that. Yeah, he too. was he was part of a, a group called Net at the time, and they they later became Sonic, and uh, he he was there working that. It's funny that uh, a band that has a song called F the Police, you're there under you know not you personally, but. Uh, you have members of your agency there undercover trying to make them safe. That's what true law enforcement is about. In fact, the overwhelming majority of law enforcement activity isn't about making arrests. It's about making the public safe. And sometimes to make the public safe, arrest has to be made. And sometimes it means that, hey, you know what, let's redirect the attention. You know, let's remove this one person here. But, I, I, you know, we, we, we I worked several the concerts we had. You know, I remember one working with, uh, we had the Spin Doctors and Smash Mouth. Completely different. And, you know, the, those guys, I, I was fortunate to work backstage and got to, got to spend a little time with them. And, and they were incredibly gracious and, and appreciative because, and, and in fact, both of them, both bands, recognized the police several times from the stage. Saying, hey, just mm. we just want to point out, you know, thanks, thanks for you being here, and making sure things are good. Huh. Now that wasn't the case at ICP. There was no thank you. <laughs> the, the, the mission remains the same, though. What I didn't realize until just when I was researching is that ICP, the day I think it was the day of or the day before the the first uh, festival, appeared on the Howard Stern show. Now Stern wasn't. This was before he was on satellite radio. He was still. Uh, you know, just a jock in New York, but he had a huge following, a huge audience, and they're promoting this festival on such a big platform really draws a lot of attention to your particular city. When, when you see kids, I say kids, but when you see young adults showing up on Greyhound buses, that was that was another issue too. Uh, remember, most hotels have policies that you have to be at least 21 and sometimes 25 in order to rent a hotel room. 
well, you've got a lot of these people that are showing up thinking they can get a hotel room and, and now they can't get one, at least in their name. So they can either sleep outdoors or, in my opinion, a worse choice to take up the offer of a stranger to sleep in their room. You know, that is, so it may be not something that happens at the, the event, but that that's a problem. People flying in. I think it was almost like a discovery for a lot of the fans, too, because as popular as they were, they still were kind of a niche group. And so you mm-hmm. probably didn't have a whole lot of uh, fans at each school. So they kind of felt like outcasts or loners or whatever. But then they show up to this thing and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm not strange. And uh, right. it was an incredibly interesting experience. And I love the Detroit Detroit News uh comment how they described it. I just want to read this. It was two days of Fago soaked madness, <laughs> raised middle <laughs> fingers and unabashed clown love. And that really was a good description. One sentence description of what that festival is like. If I can point out too, overtime wasn't just at the event. Now, just about all the hotels in the area, they were hiring officers on oh, yeah. overtime, which I ended up working that the last night of the event. And because uh, I think there was uh, one person that was interviewed that said, yeah, when we checked in, <laughs> the hotels had no idea what was going on. And, and so, you know, it's I don't know. It was it was a wild weekend. So when the, the dust settles, the event's over, uh, obviously they didn't come back for the second year. They, they, I don't know if, if did the city say, all right, we've had enough or did they find it a good experience because they brought in so much uh, commerce or what was the aftermath of the, the first festival? The, the city made the decision rather quickly that that type of event would not be entertained again. And, and, and listen, and listen, there, there, there are, these aren't serious crimes, but obviously they, they, they cause issues. The number of dine and dashes that we had that weekend, which uh, for our listeners who maybe don't know, you know, people go into a restaurant, they order the food, they eat and they leave without paying. Well, you know, those types of events. You can also imagine these kids that are coming that aren't accompanied by an adult and they fall ill. Okay. Well, you got to have a parental permission to treat those people. I mean, it, it, it didn't just tax the police department. It, it, it taxed uh, the fire department, uh, EMS, you know, the hospitals. It, it, it was just a, it was a taxing weekend. It's not just ICP that performs. Uh, I mean, they get big name artists, maybe not at the first one, but as it's progressed, I looked at the list because I wrote some down too. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, I, I the one that cracks me up, the second gathering, the first one, I didn't know any of the names. And as they continued, you see like, okay, I know that one. I know that one and that one. The second one was Vanilla Ice. So 6,600 yeah. lucky fans got to see Vanilla Ice, Ice. after his prime. So. And, but during his prime, Ice Cube is uh, a yeah. performer at many of these festivals to this day. Guar has been there. Bone Thugs and Harmony, two live crew. And then they get, you know, celebrities, a lot of wrestlers, big night. Ric Flair has shown up. Woo! You know? Nature boy. So this thing has grown <laughs> and grown over the years into just massive thing. On the fifth gathering, it said that they, they started that Juggalo Championship Wrestling. They actually wrestled people from TNA, which I assume you know yeah. what TNA is. It's total nonstop action is what it stands for, but they know what they were doing. Thank you for that. So they were actually, and this thing has gotten so big, just continuing, continuing to have like bigger and bigger crowds. I I don't know if it's gotten tamer or if it's gotten weirder or I don't know. The most recent one was in July of this year is in Thornville, Ohio. And I should mention they, they pick a lot of these smaller towns. Um, I live in Union City, Tennessee. I'm very close to Southern Illinois, and they had the gathering in the Juggalos in Cave in Rock, Illinois, which is in Southern Illinois for like six or seven years. And I worked at the uh, TV station in town. We would always cover that event. So for whatever reason, Cave in Rock welcomed them in for six or seven years. They must have loved the attention, but they've, they've moved on since then. One of the other places is Peoria, Illinois, and I've driven through there and I thought, how did this happen? How did this ever happen? <laughs> well, I will defer to your two guys' uh, musical knowledge. The people that I, I saw that performed that first one uh, was uh, obviously ICP, then Twisted, 
and psychopathic mm-hmm. riders, misery, cottonmouth kings, blaze your I've dead heard homie. I've heard of them. And Project Born. None of those. None of those people. I think like the police. <laughs> well, yeah, I could probably. I could see that. So, so out of your entire law enforcement career, where does this rank as the uh, the craziest thing you've come encounter with? I've got to say, it's got to be up there. It is, and and I I'll refer back to Kevin Ray, my partner and previous guest on the show. It's one of those things. In fact, I saw Kevin recently. Uh, when I was out in Arizona and we, we talked about th- this thing and all these years later, we, we, we can laugh about it now, you know, cause we're not in, in any danger of getting sticky. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's an experience. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was enjoyable, but, but it's something that, that stuck with you. And to be able to say you were a part of it's kind of cool. It is a, a moment in history. And the very first one now it's grown 23 years later and everybody it's just kind of an accepted thing it's like the very first woodstock you know i don't want i don't want to compare the 69 woodstock to the gathering of the juggalos that's what i heard in pop culture yeah in in pop culture it is a major event that you were a part of it's interesting to be in a part of it in the context of where it was you know where this wasn't downtown detroit this wasn't uh, new york city it was Novi, michigan and that makes the story even gooder, in my opinion. Well, to bring it full circle, just you talked about the original one was sixty dollars. Now it's a five-day festival, and I, was that one two, two or days. three days? Yeah. It's two days. Two days. Yeah. So now general admission two hundred and thirty dollars, and then this part really That's made me reasonable. laugh. Oh yeah, compared to Bonner, I think Bonner yeah. is like I think it's like three or four hundred dollars for a, a three or four-day pass. They also offered. This was in Ohio. They offered the ICP. Alien Probe Adventure. The ICP? I, I know, I said, sorry. <laughs> Alien Probe Adventure for $350 extra. So they would take you to the forests with ICP. And these were like known hotspots for UFOs. So you go UFO tracking with the two dudes. So every year they've just got to add something. You know, hats off to yeah. them for their business acumen. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a weird thing that I've heard of since high school. Never had any interest to go look up what they sounded like until this week. I, I finally went and listened to them and I was like, well, I mean, it's for somebody. It's, for yeah. it's always for, you know, everybody likes something weird. So. But it's so strange that, uh, you know, we, we've known Mike for quite a while and it was just a, like maybe a month or so ago. He just casually just buries the lead. Oh, I worked security at the gathering of Juggalos. The very first time. I'm like, what? It was definitely in a meeting where somebody said, IACP, <laughs> you and I both giggled about Insane Clown Posse. I think I asked, do you know any of their music? And Mike said, I was at that first gathering. And we were like, wait, what? Uh, listen, what you I, say? I, I, I don't doubt that they lose money. Okay. But I would have to say that ICP has sold more bumper stickers than any musical group in history for a long time, especially when they were based here, they were all over the place. And that's pure really? profit right there. I know they're making money like Grateful on that. Dead bumper stickers. Yeah. Well, they can say they're not making money, but if you've seen footage of that, everyone in there is wearing ICP clothing and stuff. They're making money. Like, come yeah. on. They're making yeah, now, money. Just to, be, just to be clear, at the ICP conference, not everybody's necessarily wearing an ICP shirt. It's, yeah, it's very confusing yeah, when we show up. Yeah. We're like, this is not at all the gathering of the jugglers <laughs> I thought it would be. <laughs> Some poor guy makes the trip out to San Diego thinking he's going to see a gathering of the Juggalos. And it's just a bunch of police chiefs out there. And he's the only guy there saying, F the police. Oh, oh <laughs> wrong place. Just kidding. Just kidding. So I know there's got to be a large portion of the audience listening that are like, I- I've never heard of ICP or Insane Clown Posse. And maybe you're curious to find out more. We've got some, some articles, detailed articles. They're like, uh, you know, quotes from the people that were there i'm surprised you didn't get interviewed for these uh articles mike i'm a little uh, upset that they didn't reach out to you but um detroit news spin they've got some uh, uh oral history stories. <laughs> yeah, I, he was hiding somewhere being worried about getting sticky <laughs> he was not available for any well, yeah, you know at, at the time well i still don't have any tattoos or body piercings but there were a lot of tattoo artists and body piercing folks set up inside i was a little bit afraid to get near them 
Yeah, because there's no way explaining that away once I got home. So <laughs> they had those at, at Bonnery where you could get tattoos at little booths. And I thought there is so much smoke and secondhand. Dr- this is not the time you want somebody to be doing like some very precise operation on you. And like, you're not going to know if it was good or not. You know, five days later, when you realize you're like, that's not a unicorn. And they're back in Nevada, wherever they live. And there's no getting your money back. So Listen, we do a lot of these episodes and there are some that are just tug at your heartstrings. And I, I've learned so many things and I get a different perspective on law enforcement. This one for me has been a blast just to hear a firsthand account of what you experienced, not really knowing what you're going to get into, you know, this has been fantastic. I realized that I had lived a very sheltered life up until that point. Very sheltered yeah. life. And it hit you like a truck when yeah, you saw a Fago truck. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, we've got some articles and uh, some links to some Vice videos. If you want to check those out at your discretion, uh, you can find out more just by going to uh, Between the Lines with Virtual Academy.com. If you were asked to work another festival, yes or no? I, maybe if it wasn't ICP, you're, you, you'd sign on for it, but maybe not. Uh, Listen, if we're talking an air supply, uh, you know, festival, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe Peter Cetera, you know, I'm all in. Let's there go. Let's go. your speed. There we go. I don't know. I heard Cetera gets down. So yeah, he gets crazy. Yeah, but based upon who I think listens to him, I'm not going to have to worry about people yeah. get rushed me. You got to be careful. You never know who likes Peter Cetera. You, gotta, you can't make assumptions. <laughs> Thanks for uh, for recounting your experience. It's fascinating to hear about it, and uh, it was really cool to hear just what exactly went on over the course of those two days because I don't think they knew what to expect, the band themselves, the city, law enforcement. It was just sounded like it was the wild, wild west, and when the dust settled, it was a moment in time, and they moved on, and now they're on to uh, different places in the country. Yeah, probably better off for it. I know no bias. Unlike Mikey, they're like, let's do it again. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) 